0: My name is Michael Miller. I am not Tim Riley. Tim is, uh, he went to a wedding last night at 6, which wouldn't be a problem except it was in Riverside, um, which is probably about as early as you want to be at a wedding in Riverside this time of year, or really anywhere in Riverside this time of year. See, that wasn't gentle, and we're going to talk about gentleness this this morning. Uh, because we are talking about Fruit of the Spirit we're in a series about that about these characteristics that the Holy Spirit produces in those who follow Christ and uh, as we look at gentleness today, before we we move to gentleness specifically, I want to go back to kind of where Tim started this series, which is in Galatians chapter five and it it's the it's the introduction of this set of fruit, if such a thing can be, uh, that Paul is, is, is introducing here, and I want to read a little further than we usually do. So if you've been around the last few weeks, this is going to be a review, but guess what? We're going to be reviewing the glory of God forever, so get used to it. All right, verse 22 in Galatians chapter 5 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently But watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. All right, let me just say a a brief word of prayer before we go on. God, I ask that you would inhabit the praise of your people, that you would be living in your word, and that you would allow us to to see what you have for us this morning. And I ask that uh, I wouldn't stand in your way And I pray that that your will would be accomplished this morning, as always, in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So what do we know about these fruit? Uh, The first is the fruit doesn't come from my effort. I don't produce the fruit. You don't produce the fruit. Who produces the fruit? That's right. The answer is the Sunday school answer. It's Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Okay. What's the other thing that Tim has been saying this whole series about the fruit? It's not fruits, it's one fruit. They're all related. And gentleness, when we begin to talk about that specifically, it's a little hard to detach it. You, you, it's hard to be gentle if you're not loving. It's hard to be gentle if you're not kind. It's hard to be gentle if you're not patient. You see how these things are, are interwoven, and they're really all interwoven. So, there's this set of things that, that come about, and I was trying to think of how to illustrate that. And I started off thinking, oh, I've got, <laughs> I've got this tree in our yard, and we just planted it in the spring, so it's not bearing any fruit, but it's got you know, a root rootstock, and then coming out of it are multiple grafted kinds of apples. So when it bears fruit, it's going to go, one, one limb's got some fruit, and then the next limb turns on, and the next tur- limb turns on. No, there's still different kinds of apples. It's different fruit. Man, I, I, surely there's an illustration. Well, when we were in Maui last week, uh, I was uh, intrigued when we went to the farmer's market, and one of the things in the stall, the outside was shaped like a papaya, which is in the Yeah, not interested category for me. But the inside was a color I had never seen before. And so we scratched our heads and asked the guy. And he said, oh, that's a strawberry papaya. And I said, you're doing dirty, evil, wicked science here, aren't you? And he said, no, try a piece. And so I did. So I'm the guy who doesn't like papaya. I kind of like this. It tasted like a papaya, a little sweeter, and with notes of strawberry in it. And I was like, oh, I got two fruits. I don't have nine fruits, but it's one fruit that has two kind of fruitinesses to it. (laughs) And Karen and I enjoyed it. Our children did not. That left more for us, so it it all worked out. The point is, this isn't, oh, well, I'm I'm good at love, but I'm poor at self-control. This is a, a set of stuff that the Spirit produces in followers of Christ that maybe our progression doesn't look like a a linear upward progression. Maybe it goes like this, right? But over time, we're expecting that, you know, Mike, even though he has a biting tongue, is going to learn to control that. And he's going to be patient with people. He's going to be kind to people. And he's also going to be gentle to people. All kind of in once. He's going to be able to control that thing increasingly. All right. The third concept here is that those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh and now live in the spirit. And most of you, I assume, would go, I have no distinct memory of crucifying anything, Mike. Sounds a little freaky, and I I agree. But take the picture here. Who, Who was crucified on my behalf and on yours? Jesus. Whose sins was he crucified for? It wasn't his. He didn't have any. He was crucified on my behalf. So I went from my natural existence, which, among other things, is selfish and obnoxious and uh, easily provoked, and I come to live in Christ's life, and Christ is not those things. He is love, joy, peace, patience, etc., Right? The reality is that if you're around me long enough, you're gonna see bits and pieces of old Mike crop up. I'm going to make a comment and I'll think it's funny and you'll go, ouch, that was excessively harsh. And I'll go, oh crud, I'm living in the old dead Mike, not in Christ. And that's a service that you can actually provide for me is by saying, Mike, that was unnecessarily harsh, that wasn't gentle. Just so you know, you're, you're invited to say that if I'm like that. Okay, so what does it mean to crucify the old self? It means when I see it, I wanna run away from it. Whatever aspects of me are still stuck in my behavior patterns, my thought patterns, my words, I want those gone. And I wanna appropriate the words of Christ. How do I do that? Do I do it, you know, I've, I've got a, a list of things I did know. It's my relationship with Christ that allows that to happen. That's the vehicle by which I become transformed toward him. And where that the, the passage that I read ends there is, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, okay, I just said, I do that. All of us do that. We're still in a pattern that this, this old should be dead, but it's stuck to us person keeps committing sin. So when we encounter somebody who does that, what does Paul say? You who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself or you also may be tempted. This gentle nature of the community is something we really, really value. Okay, I don't want to be in a place where when I say something foolish. The response to that is condemnation. Mike, the appropriate response to that is shame. No, the appropriate response to that is running away from it. You can help me running away from it, both by pointing it out and by pointing me to Christ. Does this make sense? Okay, I see, you know, two or three heads nodding. That's good enough for me. All right, there's a second thing that I want to talk about uh, before we get to the next thing that we talk about, before we talk about the passage. <clears throat> and that's just the word gentleness, because gentleness is a kind of oatmeal word to me. It, it Its intrinsic meaning is kind of smudgy. So I said, okay, uh, words translated as gentleness or something close in the New Testament, what do we got? So, you know, Donut chart, if that lights up your world, I'm here for you. (laughs) If it doesn't, I apologize. I'll try to get through this as quickly as possible. And the next thing I'll do is mispronounce some Greek words. So there are essentially three families of words here. Uh, praus, Prautes, and praupathia. And uh, Zoe, don't even, don't even. Okay, don't even. Because even if I pronounced it correctly, she would find it incorrect because the academics pronounce it incorrectly on purpose. It's a long story. The idea is these words are translated as gentle, meek, or humble. And I wanted to make sure that we got this humble bit in there because I want you to think about humble for a minute. Does humble mean that the humble person has no skills, no talents, no power, no authority? Of course not. What humble means is the person has those things and doesn't live life owning them, doesn't go around trumpeting them, doesn't display them in ways that are unhelpful. Okay. in a sense, this is part of the context that we want for gentleness. The gentle person is somebody who doesn't have to be gentle, necessarily who has the option of being ungentle. And so there's, there's a volition. There's a choice that goes into this. OK, the, the next pair of words, ekia case and, I'm sorry, epia case and epia keia, don't even, OK, are translated as gentle, kind, indulgent, or tolerant. Those words sound to me like how I feel about my children when I'm feeling particularly affectionate toward them, right? I don't consider indulgent a terribly positive parenting word. And yet, when they went to the ABC store in Maui to get whatever kind of garbage they put into their systems, okay. That was a, we're on vacation, and it happens at most once a day, and we're just going to let that happen because it allows them to enjoy the trip in a way that they wouldn't normally get to enjoy life. I like the word tolerant there a little bit because I don't know if you've ever done the thing. I sat in an aisle seat on the way out and the way back, I don't like the aisle seat because I very carefully orchestrate my life so I don't have to get up and use the bathroom. So the aisle seat, the only thing that it provides is, in one direction, the cart hitting you and, you know, some people's body parts hitting you. And the people then next to you get to, you know, get you up to, to go out to do their thing. So there's no upside to an aisle for me. But, I mean, they have to go to the bathroom. I want the beverage cart to go up and down. Like, I've got an investment. I'm going to tolerate this mess so that it can all happen in an orderly fashion. It's not the end of the world, right? You know, Mike, that's not the best illustration. Oh, I haven't even get started yet. Okay. last word. Metriopatheo is translated deal gently, and this one It occurs one place in Hebrews, and the the writer of Hebrews, as Tim likes to say, who is that? We don't know. Um, He's talking about the high priest. The high priest in Israel is offering sacrifices on behalf of the people's sin. And the writer of Hebrews is saying it's important that the high priest do this, and it's important that he understand the plight of the people. He's got to be sympathetic to the fact that they need constantly, all too constantly, to have forgiveness for their sins. And this is provided in Israel's system by the sacrifice. And the writer of Hebrews says he's, he knows this because he himself needs sacrifices so that he's clean. So he's got to have the sacrifices, and then he offers sacrifices for everybody else. And so he's supposed to be sympathetic. There's supposed to be this dealing gently that happens because of that. But when the writer of Hebrews is talking about it, what he is then moving on to is saying, okay, well, there was that. And A, that system stunk because there's this line of animals headed for slaughter at the altar. And when does it stop? It never stops because we're really good at producing sin. It just never goes away. And the writer of Hebrews says, but in Christ there doesn't need to be this ongoing sacrifice because the perfect sacrifice has been made by the high priest, the new high priest, Jesus. And the crazy thing about that is this new high priest, he isn't sympathetic because he sinned. On the contrary, he didn't know any sin. He didn't experience any sin. Plenty of temptation, but no sin. So his sympathy comes from perfection of character, that's our savior. He's not sympathetic because he's just as jacked up as we are. He's sympathetic because he's got perfect godly character. And uh, so this gentleness, the supreme creator God, who's omniscient, so he knows every lame thought that I think, every inappropriate remark, whether I make it or I restrain it with my tongue, he knows about it. And somehow he tolerates me. How does he do it? He does it out of this gentle, saving sympathy that he has because he looks on me and he sees Christ because I'm following Christ. I don't have anything else to offer him, but I'm with him. I'm with Jesus. And uh, this this all-powerful God in human form, uh, C.S. Lewis tried to to picture this in, in his Narnian books. Aslan's a lion. He's Jesus, Lewis said, if if Jesus appeared in Narnia. Okay. So it's not a anyway. Lions. Claws. Yeah? Good for you? Yeah? Healthy? Okay, I'm expecting shaking of heads here. Okay. Not good for you, right? Lewis uses this cool phrase, which I've only seen elsewhere, people referring to it. Aslan velveted his paws, by which he means he retracted the claws in, and all you've got is that cool thing, the, the softness of the pads of a cat, right? There's, there's nothing there. Now, he could still cuff you one with the, the non-clawed hand, and you're going to notice. Um, but he's intentionally being gentle whether he's playing with you or whether he's uh, giving you a reminder. And Jesus, in fact, I think he says it more clearly, although it's perhaps less warm feeling. Uh, He says, okay, set the scene. He's, He's being arrested. His followers are there. One of them goes, well, this isn't how things should be, pulls out his sword and whacks off the ear of the servant of who? The high priest, because had to work in the high priest again. Okay, and what does Jesus say? All right, go get it. No. He says, do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposable, disposable, disposal more than 12 legions of angels? How would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Jesus is saying, that's not how my kingdom is gonna come. My kingdom is made of a different thing than hacking off people's ears and enforcing things this way. Now, a time's gonna come for that, but that's not the program that Jesus was on on his first visit to earth. So we get to live in this strange grace that we don't deserve out of God's patience expressed to us in this gentle way, and it's really amazing. What that means is that you and I, as we live out our lives, we're exposed to God's gentleness on a recurring basis. As we encounter our own sin, as we bear with other people's sin, as we encourage each other and build each other up, there's this ongoing story that we get to tell. And part of this series has been including voices that have a perspective on that, that we don't always get to hear. And so this morning, I. I want to introduce somebody, and I want, to, I want to just ask up front, how many people here know Barbara Simmons? Okay, so many of you know her. Uh, as far as I know, Barbara is the longest attending, current attendee of Church of the Valley. Uh, and when I came to Church of the Valley to begin with, What I encountered was a person of a remarkably gentle spirit. And now that I've joined the staff, I'm beginning to see even more depth to that character. And so Barbara has a few things that she wants to tell us about based on her life experience and God's goodness and gentleness to her. Barbara, would you come up?
1: Thank you very much. Good morning to everyone. As we have discussed, the fruit of the spirit that we're talking about today is gentleness. My first thought was, I like gentle. I don't like harsh. I don't like hurt. I love gentle. And the dictionary describes gentle as mild, amiable, kindly, patient, meek, not rough, harsh, or loud. Meek kind of s- stumped me a little bit. And so I did a further study on that. And meek does not mean weak. It Gentle means being firm, but compassionate. Being in control while still being caring. So the A verse from 1 Philippians 4, 5 says, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, I'll be sharing about three times in my life that presented some real challenge, but the underlying thoughts are not about me. The thought is that our dear, gracious, gentle God brings us through the most challenging times. I want to tell you about my parents. When they were first married, or before they were married, they had a home built. And it was in what is now Fremont. At that time, it was Washington Township, several little towns. And uh, it didn't become the city Fremont until many, many years later after I was gone from there. And um, all around the home, all four sides, were fields. There weren't other homes. There were fields. And it was farmland. There was cauliflower. There were potatoes. There was grain. There was lettuce. You name it, we could go and pick our dinner every day. It was wonderful. Except that there weren't people around. There were no neighborhoods where children could play because we weren't that close together. It had to be arranged, and it was often very difficult to do that. So I grew up as a very lonely little girl. I did have a cat, and there were chickens, which I hated (laughs) because I had to feed them and collect the eggs. And they pecked sometimes, but... I, I was alone a lot. My favorite day was Sunday. Sunday we went to church, and it was customary at that time for parents and children to sit together for the entire service. And then after that, there was Sunday school. Now that's where I came alive, and that's where I had some friends. So I cherish the memory of that time. Now my mother thought I was a little slow. What I really think she thought was I was just so quiet, she didn't quite understand me. I wasn't around others that much. So when it was time for school, she started me in grade one at five. There was an elementary school, not too far, but less than a mile away from us. and. Um, It was funny because uh, she thought that I might have to repeat first grade, and it would be good to get started at 5. Well, in second grade, it was advised that my friend Emily and I would skip that grade, and that was a thing that was commonly done at that time too. Well, great, that just put me in third grade at age 6, And that complicated things even more. So that also meant that I would be in high school at 12. Now, the grammar school, the elementary school, was warm and friendly. It was a one-room schoolhouse to start with. And then we were excited because a new school was going to be built, and there were three rooms and the principal's office. So we were very classy then. But we got to know each other really well because it wasn't large. So it didn't matter if you were in the first grade or the eighth grade, we were all friends. Well, high school was something totally different. And it was a really, really challenging time for me. The first week, our PE teacher had us line up give our name, tell us what school we had come from and our age. And when I said that I was 12, she said, Oh, my goodness, you're just a child. Oh, that was not gentle, not at all. And it stayed with me for a long time. And Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger, or I think, hurt. So my mother did arrange for me to go to a Christian camp each year, probably from about fifth grade on. And because of that special time, Jesus became very real to me. And he was actually my best friend. That was uh, just the most wonderful thing that could have happened at that point in my life. Then after high school, I went on to study music and um, loved piano. I started to take organ lessons and do all the other exercise things you kind of have to do to understand music. And one day in the middle of a piano lesson, the doorbell rang and the phone rang simultaneously. And my teacher said, would you please get the door and I'll get this phone call. So I opened the door and there stood my Prince Charming, Ted Simmons. Ah, oh, He had been told that he had a beautiful voice and he did. He was a tenor and he had read in the yellow pages that this music studio taught singing and so he came for some lessons. Well, that was great. And I was the assigned person to accompany him when he practiced. And that was to be at least two times a week for an hour each time. Well, that was wonderful. I enjoyed the music, but I was getting more and more to enjoy him. And he was definitely getting more and more to enjoy me because he started talking marriage. And I said, you know, I I really like you but I can't consider marriage for four or five years because I have all this music to do. And he, being older and wiser, said, that's fine, I'll wait. Well, the end of the story is we were married in six months. (laughs) And Ted and I planned a family And after four years of marriage, we had a little girl born prematurely. Uh, She weighed a pound and a half, and she lived a day and a half. So that was a great disappointment. But then four years later, I gave birth to John, and we were over the moon with delight. But as time went on, we realized that John was very small. He was very tiny. And he wasn't terribly active. Mentally, he really was. He'd read his books. He'd memorize all his books and all kinds of things like that. But physically, he was not active. So our doctor sent us to Stanford for testing and evaluation when uh, he was three. And the head pediatrician came to me afterward and said, Mrs. Simmons, you have a perfectly normal child. Why don't you go home and stop worrying? Not, not gentle. I tried that, but that didn't work. A mother's intuition is very strong, as you all know. So then some years passed, and we kept trying to find some help and did not. And there was a doctor uh, who was here in our church, and he came to us at one point and said, you know, I've been observing John and I have a concern and would you be interested in having him tested at uh, UC Hospital in San Francisco? We thought, well, thank you, God. We've been praying for some help. And uh, this was like an answer. So uh, John was in the hospital for nine days for testing. And... The uh, test showed that he was pan-hypopituitary, and at age seven, his bone was three. So he definitely needed some help. But none of his glands were functioning normally, and without medical help, he would be a dwarf. Well, proper help had only recently become available, and... Uh, There were, were, I think, three or four medical centers in the United States that even diagnosed and treated this problem at that time. We're talking 50 years ago. Well, he qualified for the treatment, but there was one year of waiting. He was on a waiting list, as were other children in the area, because at that time, the growth hormone was not synthesized. Since then, it's it's just a piece of cake. They, this diagnosis can be made on an infant, and the treatment can begin immediately. Well, the doctor said, we'll try to get him to five feet. And as time went on each year, there were improvements made. And um, he got to 5'2 and 5'3, and he ended up at 5'7, which was like, a little miracle for us. So I thought of this verse in from James, James 1, 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the telling of your faith develops perseverance. We were invited by friends to join them on a trip to the Holy Land, which was going to be led by one of their pastors. And it was the most wonderful trip. We sat on a balcony and uh, prayed as we looked out at the Sea of Galilee. It's just like a dream. And when our bus stopped on a high plain, we overlooked the city of Jerusalem. And Ted sang The Holy City. And it's just one of those wonderful, memorable moments. So we were on a real high. Oh my, it was good. But after returning home two or three weeks, uh, Ted was working with the Vacation Bible School here at this church. And one day when he came home, he said he was experiencing pain on his side. And... Uh, He said, I think when VBS is over, I'll see the doctor. And I said, no, that's not the way it's going to happen. You're going to call now. And as I told the earlier group, you husbands have to be grateful for your wives because we take care of you properly. (laughs) Anyway, he did make a call, and when the nurse heard the problem, and spoke to the doctor. He wanted him in right away. I think he was expecting a possible appendectomy. All right, so he was scheduled for surgery the next morning. He stayed in the hospital right from that visit. So I went in, waited during the surgery, thinking all was going well. And he came to me, the doctor came to me, and said, Mrs. Simmons, I have some news. After we opened him up, it was just by good fortune that I spotted an area that I knew I had to check out, and it was cancerous. And he said, it looks to me like it has spread, but we won't know. The cancer has broken through a wall, and there's infection, and this is why he's having uh, this pain. So he had to stay in the hospital almost a week to clear up the infection, and then we had to wait two or three weeks. And then he had a major surgery, and that was the worst, because it was discovered that the cancer was really, really spread. And how it was, I can't believe, because he was so active and seemed healthy. But it does sneak up on people. He did have some chemo, and that helped a bit. Uh, One doctor said he had three months. Another doctor said he had four months to live. And he had a firm determination to live. He wasn't about to give up. And as I say, the chemo might have helped some, but he lived for 16 months. And it's, it's difficult to explain, but those were some of the most beautiful months that we had together because we were facing a very serious reality and god was the lord of our lives where was gentle then oh we had gone from this wonderful trip to to an extreme high down to an extreme low all within a couple of months Well, gentle was when we placed everything in God's hand. We came to church sometimes in the evening when no one else was here, no one else was, nothing was going on, and we prayed together and read scripture, and that was comforting. This was not a gentle episode. But God gave us the greatest incredible peace. Even to this day, I can hardly believe how he led us through this. And I thought of Matthew eleven twenty nine, where it says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And oh, that is a meaningful verse and such a true one. Now, when Ted knew that his time on earth was limited, he had a very serious talk with me. And he said, I know you're going to grieve. I know you have to have time to do that. But when that settles down, I expect you to continue to grow in your Christian faith. I believe God has many things for you to do. And I want you to seek his will, to be obedient in doing the things he has planned, and to live with joy and thanksgiving. And I thought, wow, what an optimist I have. And I believe that you and John will have growth in the Lord, and some of the best years are ahead of you. Wow! But you know, I'm so grateful he said things like that to me because he'll be gone 24 years this December, and they still come back to me, and they still keep me going. I would like to end with a a little paragraph, a thought that I like, and then also a scripture. Let us be gentle with each other, because we have a gentle Savior who loves and cares for us. And from Ephesians 4.2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. To God be the glory.
0: So, I've got more, more miles on my odometer than some of you, but I don't have the, the miles on my odometer that Barbara has, and hearing about her life experience is, is life-giving for me. And getting to see it through this lens of who our Savior is and how he treats us is a glorious thing to be able to do. And I promised before that we'd get back to the the passage uh, that, that Ruth read earlier. And I want to do that in sort of closing this, this out. And it'll, it'll take a little while. So, you know, another, another caveat there. But um, Colossians 3 12 through 17, it starts off uh, saying, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And we know, okay, that this is a thing we teach all the time. You know what the text says by looking at the context, right? So the text that's around it has a bearing on anything that you pull out. If I pull a verse out and quote it to you, you have full permission to look around that verse and make sure that I'm actually being faithful to what the writer intended to say. We, we have the context of the, the whole of Scripture, and so we're not just picking and, and, you know, sort of, oh, this means this and that means that. It's got to all fit together. And then the, the last thing is simply, what kind of writing is it? In, in this case, it's a lot of what we've been looking at has been teaching. It's, it's a, an epistle that's teaching people. And so there's this huge tell here. It starts with the word therefore. Why does it start with the word therefore? Because immediately before this, Paul is talking about what the, the believers in Colossae are supposed to be doing, and he talks about them putting to death whatever belongs to their earthly nature. And he gives examples, sexual immorality, lust, evil desires, greed, but also anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lies to one another. His point is, because they are now in Christ, they're no longer the natural beings they started as. Something has been transformed. Okay, so he said, back in the day, you were like this, but now you're living in Christ. You're God's chosen people, and here's what characterizes you. And these, these positive attributes, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. And the reason I bring this up is I, I want to tell you that if you are in Christ and yet you see those old aspects, man, I got angry about that. Man, that was a burst of lust. Oh, boy, there was malice when I thought about that coworker. Those things come from an old, dead person that you're dragging around with you, that you're stuck with for the time being. Those are not you. If you are in Christ, you has the characteristics of Christ, including the ones in this verse. And so you can say, I sinned. But you are not any longer, in the eyes of God, a sinner. And so you get to run away from that to your new identity in Christ. And one of the things that means is, when I'm not compassionate, when I'm not kind, when I'm not humble, when I'm not gentle, when I'm not patient, that I'm part of a gathering where you get to say, wow, Mike, that was not gentle. And if you manage to say that gently, I might listen to you. And there's the rub, right? Is we've gotta actually be operating in that place in order to appropriately help each other when we're demonstrating that. How do we do that? How do we operate in in Christ's control? He says at the end of the, the prelude there in verse 11, but Christ is all and is in all. Christ is everything. Those last 16 months that Barbara and Ted had together they weren't great because of circumstances. They were great because the stakes had just become huge, and they knew the reality they were dealing with. And if we could walk daily in that understanding of being in Christ and what that means and who we are as a result, what our mission is, oh my goodness, the difference that that makes in how we face our day, how we interact with people is huge. Because we're in Christ, we have a whole new way of living, clothed with those things, and that means you and I don't write each other off. Do you know what I mean by write each other off? That means you jump on my last nerve enough times and I stop interacting with you. You get maybe a curt response to anything is the most you get, because I've had it. Well, guess what? If I'm in Christ and you're in Christ, I don't get to do that. You don't get to do that. We get to bear with one another. Now, there are times when somebody's running the whole different direction, and maybe we, we have to uh, do the velveted paw cuff to wake somebody up, maybe. But even that's going to be gentle because that's what characterized our correction by Christ. And this is another reason that all these fruit have to come together. Because I don't be gentle to you out of my own skill. I have to love you. I have to get that love from God. I have to be patient with you. I have to get that patience from God. I have to be good to you. I have to get that goodness from God. None of these things I'm expected to manifest on my own, to generate on my own, to be able to handle on my own. That comes from God through my relationship with Christ. So how do we experience that? <laughs> we let Christ rule in our hearts. I was trying to figure out how to, how to describe Christ ruling in our hearts, and something happened on Monday that, that I thought helped me anyway. Um, we took a red eye from Maui to San Francisco. Um, don't do this. It's really stupid. Uh, it made our last day kind of ridiculous. Uh, and then we had no sleep, and then Karen had a meeting at 8.30 at, at her school and you know, was, by God's grace, able to do it, but probably not the best setup. The most beautiful aspect of that whole deal was at SFO at 5.30 in the morning, Pastor Tim picked us up. And we're driving home, and I don't have to have all my wits about me, which is good because I didn't. And I'm sitting in the front seat and I look over at the console in his awesome truck and uh, I thought, wow, we're getting home a lot faster than we would if I were driving. You can think of that what you will, but what I thought was, it's awesome we're getting home because I'm going to collapse at any time, but also I don't have any choice in the matter. He's the guy with the wheel and the foot on the pedal and I don't, Really, I have input maybe, but we're getting home faster. It's all good. And it would be nice if we had a, a you know, cockpit of our lives that we could see, and we could see Jesus in it. And we could say, oh, Jesus isn't in it. I've grabbed the wheel and the gas pedal, and I'm driving in the wrong direction. But that's not how it works. And that's another way in which you and I get to encourage each other and build each other up, is it's okay for you to say, Mike, is Jesus driving where you currently seem to be going? I'm just curious because it looks like you're off on a wild goose chase somewhere. Maybe that's not the gentle way that you want to be addressed, and maybe it's not for me, but we get to learn that in community. We don't just show up and disappear into the woodwork during the week. So that's one of the ways. The passage says, what what words does it use? Um, Teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. This is how we encourage each other. This is how we identify who we want in the driver's seat, and we get to affirm when we see somebody making a difficult decision in the power of God we get to say, wow, I was really amazed at how patiently and gently you dealt with that person who was clearly off, whatever it might be. And who gets the glory? Well, Christ gets the glory. Why don't we have the, the worship team come up? And... Uh, I don't have four steps to being gentle. I don't know that I believe there are four steps to being gentle. I think there's one step to being gentle, and it's uh, taking the life that Jesus gives us as we abandon the life that we started with. But what I do have is a, a promise given by God through the prophet Isaiah, and we see it fulfilled in Christ, and so I'm going to read about the promised one. And I just want to highlight uh, a bruised reed he will not break, this, uh, this passage says, and a smoldering wick he will not stuff, snuff out. If you feel bruised today, just know, just know that you have a gentle God and a gentle Savior who understand and aren't going to snap you if you feel like your wick's burnt to the end, maybe both ends, you've got a God who understands. The same one who got Barbara through her circumstances is available to you. And we're gonna, I'm going to pass the bags um, after praying this uh, passage from the prophet. If you came prepared to give, if this is where you're growing, by all means, put something in. If you have a prayer request and want to fill out a card in the, the pew back. Um, you can put that in the bag or you can put it in the box as you leave. Um, but this is a time where we're just going to think about the greatness of Christ and what he's done for us out of his gentleness and love. Isaiah 42, 1 through 7 says, and this is my prayer, here is my servant whom, I'm a, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight, I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his teaching the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. And God, those, those of us who are Gentiles here, we thank you for making a way through that son of David, Jesus Christ, who kindly and gently came to us when we didn't deserve to be anywhere near him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.